My name is Dan Morse, and today we're going to be talking about baptism. And I'm pretty excited about it because baptism, the whole subject uh, uh, around baptism and the doctrine and theology around uh, baptism is actually kind of uh, an emotional thing for me. I don't know about you guys, but I love baptism services. I love it when we go down to the lake and we hear stories of lives transformed. I love it when we go down to the lake and we hear testimonies of people who've been changed uh, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by putting their faith and trust in him. And, this is, uh, and then they, they go through the waters of baptism and it's, a, it's just a huge celebration. It's always just a very emotional uh, time uh, for me and I know for uh, a lot of others uh, who enjoy that. But before we go any further, I just want to lift the, this service up in prayer. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for today. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you instruct us, you teach us, you encourage us, you rebuke us. You do all of that. There's so much power in your word, uh, Lord. So we just pray uh, today that as your word is proclaimed, Lord, that you would speak to us. We know that you do. And, and so, Lord, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, change us and make us more like Jesus. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So yes, today we're going to be uh, discussing the ordinance or the doctrine of baptism. There's always a lot of confusion around this issue of water baptism. And mostly it's, it's whether or not uh, baptism is what's called salvific. Whether it's not salvific, meaning do we get salvation from the work of water baptism? Does water baptism give us what's called baptismal regeneration? Are we born again through the waters of baptism? And do we have faith in Christ? Is the, are, the king, is, are we now in the kingdom of God? Are the doors of heaven opened up once we're sprinkled or immersed in water? Uh, so there's that. And there's also when should baptism be administered? Should it be administered when, when we're infants? Uh, which is called paedo-baptism, or should it be uh, administered once we confess Christ, which is called credo-baptism? And, and so uh, we're of the thought, and we believe that the, the Bible teaches that credo-baptism is what is biblical, okay? So there's this idea, though, that when we're babies, if you're sprinkled in water, like this, there's an original sin that needs to be cleansed. And so there's something that happens when, when we're uh, bathed in the baptism of water, we're cleansed, we're regenerate, we're, we're made new, and the original sin is no longer uh, part of the picture. And, and we just don't see that in Scripture. And there's some other traditions that believe that there's certain dispensations of grace that are given when you're water baptized. So there's graces that are given to you when you come up out of the water, or there's certain spiritual gifts that come to you when you come up out of the water. And some people believe, some denominations would say, that if you don't have certain spiritual gifts when you come up out of the water, then you might not be saved. So that's evidence of your salvation. And so we don't, we don't see that in Scripture either. And what's happened is, is there are some people that would take what's called non-normative passages in the Bible. They're non-normative. They take a historical text and they apply it to today. And some of these things that you see in Scripture that are non-normative happened early in the church uh, to build the church, to inaugurate the church, to, to bring the gospel to the people. And so we can't, we can't develop a doctrine. It's called didactic or doctrinal teaching. We can't do that from a non-normative passage of Scripture. 
Okay, we, ha- we can't do that. So you see one instance of something that happens in Scripture, you can't automatically make a wholesale doctrine from a nor- non-normative passage of Scripture, and a lot of that has happened. So I totally get that there's a lot of confusion uh, around this issue of baptism, and I, I, honestly, today I just want to kind of keep it simple. I'm just going to go through some text. There's a lot of text um, that we're going to go through, and I'm just going to give you a thematic view of some of it. And uh, because many of us in this room have experienced different teachings, have had different experiences with baptism, and especially water baptism. So the confusion part of it, I totally get. Uh, I myself, when I, uh, before I was even a Christian, um, my nephew, his name is Roman, he, I think I was 20 years old, my, my, my sister had a, a son, and she wanted to get him baptized. We weren't raised in the church, but she just thought this was the right thing to do. This little child needed to be baptized. So I remember she called a church, uh, and the priest said, sure, bring him over, we'll baptize him. And I was there, and the priest just said, hey, would anybody else want to get baptized? And I'm like, well, sure. I mean, I didn't see the downside of it, so I'm like, sure, I'll get baptized, right? So I stood up, and he wiped some uh, water. I, I, I don't know if it was holy water or what it was, but he wiped some water in the sign of the cross on my forehead and declared that I was a child of God. And I just thought, oh, well, that was pretty simple. All right. So now I, I get to go to heaven because he wiped some water on my forehead. And that was a little confusing to me. So when I became a Christian, I also had some people to say, well, if your kids aren't baptized immediately once we had children, then they're, they're, they're eternally condemned if they were to die before they were baptized. So I've had these battles of, with water baptism in my life and this kind of like confusion in my own life. So I just went out to study it. I went on to study it. And there's actually seven different types of baptisms in the New Testament. I don't know if you knew that. Today we're going to really focus on two of them um, because we have way overcomplicated water baptism. We have just made, made it so complicated. It's really not complicated. It's really not. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at the Holy Spirit baptism, and we're going to look at water baptism. And actually what I want to do is try to connect those two. I want to show you how those are connected through Scripture. Baptism, though, is mentioned in the New Testament 93 times. It's a very important doctrine. So we can't ignore it. We can't walk away from it. And I don't know why anybody, a, a Christian, would ever want to like, kind of not be baptized. I don't really understand that because the command is there. The examples are there. It's mentioned over and over in the New Testament. It's a very important doctrine. Okay? So we're going to remember, we're going to start uh, from reading in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 33. Because I want, I want to bring this to light before we go any further. Uh, this is John the Baptist, and uh, it starts out in verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. So do you understand, like John is saying, I'm baptizing you with water to reveal the one to come. So the power wasn't in John's baptism, never was. John was a forerunner. What John did was a foreshadowing of things to come. He was the one who was announcing the coming of the Messiah. And so even in his water baptizing, the announcement, the declaration was being made that there's, there's one coming that, I, I, that you need to know about. So that's what he's saying here. Uh, so, and John bore witness, starting verse 32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes 
with the Holy Spirit. So here he's saying that Jesus is coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now we know that what Jesus does in baptizing with the Holy Spirit does bring regeneration, does bring salvation. So when, when he says that I'm baptizing you with water to reveal the one to come, but he's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that's where the power lies. That's where the power lies. And, and it's, it's interesting. Does anybody know? Here's a quiz point. Does anybody know how many people Jesus baptized in water? He didn't baptize a single person. The scriptures aren't, they just say that John, or, uh, his disciples baptized, but he didn't baptize anybody in water. His job was to come and baptize in the Holy Spirit. So, I, you know, there's, there's a scripture that says that he and his disciples baptized in water, but then it comes back and says, well, it really wasn't Jesus, it was just his disciples that did it. And see, so we, we need to understand that, that the Holy Spirit baptism, the power that's in that, is represented through the waters of baptism. And so when, when, John, when John the Baptist performed baptisms, he was pointing towards Jesus. Jesus came, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now when we go under the water and we come up, we're pointing towards what Jesus did for us. So that's, that's the purpose behind water baptism. And the word baptism in the Greek is baptizo, which means to dip, immerse, or wash. And so when we talk about water baptism. What we're talking about really is a spiritual reality that happens to us when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we're given new life in Christ, when we're given total forgiveness of sin. And that's what we're going to talk about today, what it looks like to be buried with Jesus and raised to new life. You see, when I went to my Bible schooling, that's, they taught us to say this. And when we baptize somebody, we say, you've been buried with him in the baptism of his death, and you've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. So this is what baptism represents. It represents a spiritual reality of something that he did through his finished work on the cross, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should excite us. That should excite us because we get to partake in that. And so when we celebrate this baptism, when we do this as an act of obedience and celebration, this is what we are doing. We're actually saying, yes, Jesus, I identify myself with the burial and death of, of you and my sin and the resurrection to new life. And that, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so make no mistake about it, though. We believe that the Bible teaches that you are justified or you're saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, by his grace alone, for his glory alone. Okay? There's, water baptism doesn't save you. I just want to put it out there because I know Lake Country is a very religious area. A lot of people have been raised in religiosity from the time that they were children, in religious ritualism, certain sacraments of certain denominations. And they would, say, they would say, what happened to me, you're born into the kingdom of God, you are now a child of God because you have been sprinkled in water, because you've undergone a water baptism. And that's simply not what the Bible says. My old pastor used to say, if anybody can stand up and prove to me that you're saved through water baptism, or that infants should be say, uh, water baptized, I will give you $1,000. Now, he, he's done that for 25 years, and he's never had anybody win $1,000 from him. There's nowhere in Scripture that you can point to that would tell you that. And we believe in Scripture alone as well. So it's, it, it's only your trust in Jesus Christ that brings to you salvation and eternal life. So why is it that water baptism is so important in the church? Well, it's an identification with the finished work of Jesus. It's an identification with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture 
of what Jesus has done for us and through us and in us and all of that. And so we get to partake in that. And it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing. So uh, anyway, so today we're going to be examining this. We're going to be examining what it means to be buried with Christ in the baptism of his death and what it means to be raised to new life in him. And I'm going to start in Romans 6. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today, but there's just some, like I said, I want to just give you some themes here that might help you in understanding baptism and might encourage you also. If you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized, man, we want, we want to celebrate with you. Um, two weeks, we're, we're going to go down to the beach and we're going to see a huge you know, baptismal service and we'd love for you to be a part of it. Let's start in, in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, there's a certain baptism, you're baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death, there's another baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in the newness of life. Now, we could sit here all day, and this really, this passage right here, just these first four verses really talk about what it means to be dead, that you're dead in Christ, and that you've been raised to new life in him. Uh, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died who has died has been set free from sin. Do you know that? If you identify with Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you, do you understand that you have been set free from sin? Do you know how beautiful that is? Do you know why the gospel is such good news? It's because of passages like this. I say you're dead to sin. Christ took away your sin. You're dead to it. It no longer has a lordship over you. And I'm going to show you that. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That word dominion in the Greek is kyrio. It's very closely related to the Greek word kyrios. Kyrios means Lord, big L, Lord Almighty, Lord God. Kiryu is Lord, small l, lordship. So this whole idea of death and sin no longer has lordship over you. It can't condemn you any longer. It has lost its power over you. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing the death to life, the death to life? Let not sin Therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no lordship, no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you're under grace. You're no longer under the condemnation of the law. You're no longer under the condemnation of your sin. Jesus took that to the cross. He canceled it. He canceled the debt of sin. He nailed it to the tree. And so there's a beautiful reality that we're celebrating when we go in the water of baptism, that we, through, through his shed blood, through the death of Jesus Christ and our identification in that, that our sins have gone to the grave along with him. 
that he put an end to sin in our lives, the consequence of sin. Now, does this mean we're not going to sin? No, temporally, here, we're going to sin. We're going to struggle. Every day, we're going to struggle with sin. But God doesn't hold it to our account the way he once did. There is no retribution. You know, in the Old Testament, there was the law. If you broke the law, there was a consequence. Here, we break the law, and God's grace covers that. Grace abounds when, our sin, when, I, when we sin, we continue to sin. Grace abounds all the more. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel. That's what's so beautiful about his love and his grace and his forgiveness. It is never ending. It is so expansive that we can't outdo it. Praise the Lord. We cannot outdo his grace. There's never a point where the grace tank becomes empty. Where God's like, I, I, I ran out of grace for you. There's no more grace for you. You've oversinned my grace. It never runs dry. And so we get to celebrate that. And that's what we're celebrating when we go under the water in baptism. That all those sins are gone. There's from the far as the east is from the west. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So sin no longer rules over you. Death no longer rules over you. Jesus put an end to the condemnation that you and I deserve, and he, put, he, he rendered it, he killed it. He killed death, he killed sin, and he, he gave you life. He gave you true, eternal life. He rendered it dead. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we're going to go for, uh, into Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 18 here. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. See, the law never had the power to take away sin. Do you know that? There was never a time where the law had the power to remove sin. It had the power to show you that you're a sinner, and that's what, it's our schoolmaster. It still continues to do that. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Can you just picture that? Like Jesus like ascended into heaven and said, it's over. It's done. Sin is gone. I took it upon myself. I've taken away the curse of sin for those who trust in me. I just love that picture of how he sat down. Like he sat down, like kicked up his feet and said, I did it. It's all good. Now come to me. Trust in me. Believe in me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I did it all. It's finished. It's such a beautiful, beautiful reality. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who has he perfected? Who has he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified? Through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. It's us. It's us. God doesn't see us the way that we see ourselves. God doesn't see us the way. We're sinners. We're sinners. And we don't deserve a lick of what God has given us. But he has given us freely through his grace and mercy, eternal life, abundant blessings, abundant life, blessings that are overflowing. We get that in Christ Jesus because we put our faith and trust in him and what he did. It's, it's, it's just it's amazing. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them in their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds. What? No more. No more. 
Where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Do you recognize your freeness, your freedom in Christ? Do you understand that he came, Christ came? it's, It's for him that he has set you free. Christ came to set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you understand that he has come to set you free? That the truth, Jesus, has come to set you free? Do you understand how free you are in Christ if you put your faith and trust in him? So I believe that we live our lives a lot out of religiosity and religious obligation and religious performance. I think a lot of our lives in the church is really based on you know, what we think we need to do in order to perform to appease a, a God who's already pleased with us because of Jesus. So, and, I, and I think we do that to one another. I think we have a hard time opening up and letting ourselves be broken with one another because we have this facade of a religion that's kind of, we're boxed in that. And, and, and I think Jesus would say, you know, just drop all of that. You're free. Like you, the sin that you're afraid to, to, to express or to confess uh, to your brother or sister, that sin, I'm not counting against you. You're, you're free. Like now, just live in worship of that. Live in gratitude of that. Live in thanksgiving of that. So if you're free in Christ, you are free indeed. You've been made dead to sin. God has forgiven you once and for all and will never, ever, 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 ever count your sins against you. There's not going to be a time down when you're, you know, you're 80 years old and you're on your deathbed that he's going to come knocking on your door and say, hey, you know, there's these sins that aren't forgiven. I forgave you of all this. I nailed all this to the cross. I took this all upon myself at the cross. I endured the cup of wrath in this way, but now you're going to get wrath because of these sins over here. my, my, My sacrifice wasn't enough. That will never happen. That will never happen. Jesus did it all. He paid the final price for your sin. He did it all. So realize this, that your death in Christ, when you identify like I am dead to myself, I'm dead to my sin, that is a gift. Your death is a gift. The death of your old self, the death of your old man is a gift. Your forgiveness because of what Jesus did in his work is eternally secure. You are secure in Christ. And that should cause celebration that should cause awe and worship and wonder and amazement that God would be so gracious to us I might have a little different perspective because where I came from in my past but I'm telling you right now when I got saved I couldn't believe he saved me and there's times right now I don't know about you guys but I'll have some like totally wicked thought run through my brain and I'll be like whoa where did that come from like that, like my heart is all entangled in that and wrapped up in that thought and that wickedness. And I said, Jesus, he's like, I bore that one too. I bore that one too, Dan, you're free. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. We're all in the same boat, right, when it comes to this stuff. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, But Christ, who lives in me, for the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, we have been crucified with Christ, and so we identify that through the waters of baptism. When we go underwater, we were crucified and we were buried with Jesus. All of our sins are gone. All of our sins are accounted for. Every single last one of them. 
Does this mean, again, that you won't struggle with sin? No. We're going to struggle with our flesh, the world, and the devil until the day we meet Jesus face to face. But this is what's so amazing about grace. And when we sing about amazing grace, this is it. That we're, even though we struggle, even though we fall short, even though, even though we stumble, even though we do things we shouldn't do, he is bigger. His grace abounds all the more. But what did it say in, in Romans 6 there? That should we go on sinning that his grace may abound? By no means. Of course not. We don't sin because we can. Because we can, it leads us to uh, 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 an amazing like, sense of worship. Because we, when we sin, and I'm going to say this right here, that sometimes we sin sins of omission and sins of commission. There's times where we sin and we know we're sinning. Jesus has got it. If you're in Christ, if you're born again, if you're born and regenerate, Jesus has already forgiven that sin. He's already seen the end of your life, all the sins you're going to commit, and he put them all upon himself, and he took it to the cross, never to be seen again. Are you guys excited about that? <laughs> I, I mean, this, is, this to me is amazing. And, and so when I was a baby Christian, I want to tell you about my struggle. I had this, this struggle, and I may have uh, spoken about this in the past, um, but you know, I came from a pretty um, colorful background. I'll just put it that way. It was colorful. And then um, I, I was buried with Christ and came to new life. But I didn't understand this whole thing. I didn't understand it. So I just thought it was about being a good person. And so I tried my hardest to be perfect. And every time I fell short, I felt so guilty, so beat up, so uh, disempowered, so like, I can't do this. Like, Christianity is just brutal. I can't do this. This is so frustrating. This is so exhausting. And if you're in that place where you've been beat up by legalism and by religious um, performance and behaviorism, I just want to set you free from that. Like, you don't need to be that. Like, true worship is, a, a, is something that we want to do. True worship is something that comes from a, a, a thankful heart. True worship is something that we do in gratitude and praise, not because we're obligated to do it. So I, I, I guess I just want you guys to know that if you're in that place, you don't have to be that, in that place. But it was something so simple where I'm driving down the road one day, and I, I'm listening to Christian, Christian music and just feeling like, like Jesus, like I'm a punching bag for Jesus, which I know that's not true, but that's kind of how I'm feeling. And all of a sudden, I drive up behind this car, at a stop sign, and it says, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And it's weird. It's weird that, like, I would be going to church, and I wouldn't learn that, but I could be driving down the road and see this bumper sticker, and God used it in an amazing way. And all of a sudden, I just started to, like, realize that I'm, I'm forgiven, and I'm never going to be perfect. Thank you, Jesus. I'm never going to have to be perfect, yet you're going to forgive. Like, I'm forgiven. Like, I'm in a state, a theological state of position that I am forgiven for all of my sins. And when I understood that and the depths of that, I fell deeply in love with Jesus because I couldn't believe it. Why would he choose to do something so beautiful to me, for me, in my life? Why would Jesus choose to forgive me so completely? And like wipe my slate so clean when I've been so bad my whole life. I just couldn't believe it. So it changed everything. It just took off this performance to perform. Like I don't have to perform for Jesus anymore. I don't have to be a certain way. Like I don't, 
but, but it makes me also want to please him. It wa- makes me want to be obedient to him. It makes me want to worship him and praise him. Do you see the flip there? There's something about a free, uh, uh, like people saying you're free in Christ that's like terrifying in the church. Well, then you're, they're just going to go out and sin and they're going to go out and do what they want to do and they're not going to follow Jesus and they're just going to live their lives for themselves and they're going to make a mess of everything. And I'm like, over here, I was probably on the verge of that because I was so frustrated and exhausted by religion. And then I see that, no, I'm perfect. I've been made perfect. I've been made, I'm dead to sin. Like, sin doesn't have the effect on me that it once did. And I've been given complete and total forgiveness. And this cleansing has happened in my life. And now I can walk in the freeness of my faith. And I can enjoy it. And I can enter in. And I can sing. And I can celebrate. And I can love Jesus for everything that he's done for me. And it's this worship and this idea of praise and everything that came out of me, that's what fostered obedience in my life. It wasn't religiosity. It wasn't somebody pounding on me and said, Christians have to act this certain way. No, it was the beauty of the cross. It was his death and burial of resurrection and how I could identify with that. And so for me, when I could be baptized, I was, it was a blessing. It was like such a celebration for me. Like, I get to do this. Like, Jesus did this for me, and I get to identify with him in the waters of baptism. How beautiful is that? It's such a beautiful, beautiful reality. So I could look to the finished work of Jesus and that stress. I could just let go of the stress and the worrying that I would never be enough for his love and acceptance. And he's saying, I love you because of Jesus. God is saying, I love you because of Jesus. I love you because of my son. He's the one who did it for you, and I love you because of him. Put your faith and trust in him in all things, and you're fine. Your eternity is secure. So this is what's represented in the water of baptism, being buried with him in the baptism of his death, that your slate is wiped clean. You went to the grave. You were crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but you were buried with him in the, in, in the baptism of his death. And now you've been resurrected to new life. So this part is only part of the story. So we're going to talk about what it means to be raised to new life in Christ Jesus. Because not only did Jesus eradicate the power of sin to condemn you, but he also empowers you with a resurrected life. He wants you to live a full life, a powerful life, a beautiful life, a glorious life in Christ Colossians 3, 1 and 4 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, and you have been. You've been raised with Christ because of your faith in Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, praise the Lord. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So if you are in Christ, you have been raised with Christ. You've been, you've been uh, raised with Christ. So when we put you under the water, we said you've been bap- uh, buried with him in the baptism of death, but you've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. Now I could spend, this, this could be hours, this could be days, what a new life in Christ looks like. That you've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. We could could sit there forever. We could sit and just talk about what a new life in Christ you have. So he's talking, though, about, like, why should we seek the things that are above? Why are we to look uh, there instead of the things on earth? Because that's where we belong. Our life is, we've been given a new life, a beautiful life, a resurrected life. 
The power that, that Jesus was res resurrected with is the same power that you and I have. The dunamis power of God is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And so we have this power to live a Christian life. Listen, you don't have to fail. You don't have to fail. Christ is in you. And, Christ, and, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the power of Christ. You have that if you have the Holy Spirit. You've been raised to new life in him. And Christ is now your life. So when I said before that, you know, God says, I'm pleased with you because of Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's like you're hidden in Christ. Christ did it all, and now you're in Christ. So now God sees Christ when he sees you. He sees the sacrifice of his son. And so and he's given you all the newness of life that you could ever want. And so I want to ask you this question. Have you ever come to the end of yourself? Have you ever done that? Have you ever stopped and said, eh, I might not be the most awesome person that's ever walked the face of the earth? I have. I actually do it all the time. Yeah, but I'll never tell you that. I'm like, I'm not going to walk around saying, uh. uh, uh but I do. I do honestly get to that. I'm like, I can't believe some of the things that I think about. I can't believe some of the things I say. I can't believe, like, I am so, like, I look at, I'm, I'm not, like, a big fan of my inner man. Because I'm telling you right now, it's not always pretty in there. It's not. And so I have to work at, like, God, help me. God, help me. Empower me. You've given me the fruit of the Spirit now. Help me to, to enter into that. Because uh, a lot of times, my fruit isn't all spiritual. It's like that. It's a little dirtier than that. It's like rotten fruit. That's sometimes where my, my fruit comes from. And so I, I struggle with this. And I'm just telling you right now, uh, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. It's a blessing to realize that, man, I am so undeserving of this, that I'm really not a great person. I really have, like, inside, I have stuff happening in here that's not so pretty. But Jesus. But Jesus. But Jesus. You were buried with him in the baptism of, of his death, and you've been raised to new life in Jesus. So yeah, you're going to have that stuff go on. But Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. Enough. So the, the finished work of Jesus and the free gift of eternal life and abundant life here and now is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so we can identify with that in, that in, in water baptism. Um, and, and, and it's just a blessing. The more I understand my true nature, the more I need to like realize the beauty of the gospel and what he's done uh, for me. So why get baptized now? Like, why now? Right? I mean, I, I have friends that, that have been saved for 20 years, and they're like, well, I'm saved, man, so I don't really need to get baptized. Like, I'll just do it whenever, or maybe I won't do it. Who, who knows? I just don't feel like, because it's not for salvation, like, I don't feel that it's that important. But again, baptism's... 93 times in the New Testament it's mentioned. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. We have commands to be baptized, to repent and be baptized, to believe and be baptized. We have all of that. But uh, we also have the Great Commission that tells us that we should be baptized. And we have examples in the scriptures of how we should get baptized. And I'm going I'm to read this to you from Acts chapter 8, verses uh, 26 to 39. This is a story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert place. And he rose and went. I love his obedience. Yeah, an angel comes to me, tells me to do something, I do it, right? And, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, if, if you remember, he's reading from Isaiah 53, the most beautiful, the greatest messianic Old Testament chapter, in my opinion, in all of the Old Testament. It's just a beautiful picture of who Jesus is. And if you've ever gone to see the Dead Sea, Dead sea Scrolls, and you see, the, the, they call it the Great Isaiah Scroll, and it's laid out, and you look at it, and you're like, there it is right there. There's Jesus. There's Jesus right there. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So this guy must have been reading out loud, I guess, in his chariot. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. I actually love how that ends. Like, he was so excited. He had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. Stops the chariot, says, why can't I be baptized? Philip says, there's no reason. Let's go. So he goes down into the water. He's baptized. He comes up and starts high-fiving everybody. Really, I mean, he's rejoicing. He's celebrating with the goodness of God in his life. And I just think this is a beautiful picture, a beautiful example of what, we should, what our, our, our posture towards water baptism should be. Listen, if you've been saved if you've been regenerate, if you have been born again through the Holy Spirit power of Jesus Christ in your life, you should be baptized. You should be water baptized, and you should want to. You should be excited to do this because, listen, the eunuch, he wanted to get baptized immediately. In that moment, he came to faith. He's like, I, I, I got to go. I got to go. Let's wear some water. Hey, there's some water. Let's do this. He didn't know all the, the fundamentals of the Christian faith. He didn't take discipleship 101. He hadn't been in the church for five years while he was properly observed by the congregants or the elders. That didn't happen. There was some guy who explained to him who Jesus was through Isaiah 53, preached the good news of Jesus to him. He accepted the message and said, let's do this. Let's get in the water. I have a new life I want to celebrate, and this was part of it. So there's that. And then there's the commands all through Scripture to be baptized. And the best one that I know, the Great Commission. This is right before Jesus ascended into heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who's them? The disciple. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing a disciple, not an infant, not somebody who's been schooled in theology and understands baptism to the nth degree. Go make a disciple, a learner. Go make one. And when they're saved, 
baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about. It is a celebration of the gospel. It is representation of the goodness of God in our lives. And so I hope if you have not yet been baptized, you would consider that. Because you know what? We'd love to be a part of your story. I mean, there's a whole community aspect that I really haven't touched on here about us coming around you as a family to uh, celebrate with you. It's like, it'd be like your coming out party. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I'm like, I'm identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection, and new life that Jesus has offered me. And, and I, I'm going to proclaim that to the world. And I want you to all be a part of it because we're going to celebrate together. That's what this is about. It's a representation of what Jesus did. And that's where the power lies. The power lies in Jesus, not your water baptism. But there's some people here who might just be like, just checking this out, don't really understand it all. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, please understand this. Jesus offers to you eternal life for free. It's a free gift of God. You are a sinner. We're sinners. We're all in this together. We've trusted in Jesus Christ because of his goodness and what he has done for us. That he, as as, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, that he was buried and that he was uh, or he, was, he, was, he, he died, that he was buried, and he was resurrected to new life. That's the whole message of the gospel. It's simple. It's simple. It's crazy how we over, overcomplicate it all. But it's simple. And if you haven't entered into that, listen, do some business with God. You come to God and you say, Lord, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. I, don't, I know I'm not saved. And you say, Jesus, save me. Save me. I accept the free gift of eternal life that you have given me. I understand what it is that you went to the cross and you died for my sins and you were buried and on the third day you rose again and I want to enter into that. I want forgiveness. I want eternal life. I want you, Jesus. You say that to Jesus, he's going to save you. And then you come. Then you come. You come and be baptized. And we'll celebrate all of it alongside of you. We'll rejoice with you. We will walk with you. We will hold your hand through the whole thing. We will do it all because we love you. Jesus loves you. We love you. And we're part of this family of faith. And we're, we're all doing this together, imperfectly and sometimes ugly. But we're in it together. Amen? Amen. So if the band uh, could uh, please come up. I was actually supposed to say that a little bit earlier. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. I'm so thankful to be a part of the church that believes in the biblical ideas that surround this doctrine and the theology um, of baptism, water baptism, and the fact that we all get to partake in this together as a family is really, really wonderful. So we're going to have, I'm, I'm, it's not a picnic in Bayview. It's a party. We're going to have a party, and we're going to celebrate alongside of you. If you decide to get baptized, we're going to celebrate alongside of you, okay? All right, let's celebrate as we stand and sing.